Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, written by the wisest man to live, Solomon. First two chapters, Solomon is tested everything that man looks to to find meaning and satisfaction in life only to conclude that all is what? Vanity. Yes. And it, the word vanity means what? Yeah, it doesn't satisfy. It's all is vanity. It doesn't satisfy. In chapters 3 through 6, Solomon is share, he shares with us his observations of life under the sun. And then from chapter 12, up to chapter or chapter 7, up to chapter 12, verse 8, where he finished last week, Solomon is telling us how to live in this all-is-vanity world. Last week we were encouraged when we left to work hard, to bring home the bacon, so to speak, to go work, and to enjoy life. And today we're going to finish this book, and we'll see Solomon's conclusion to his study, his research, if you will, on life. Well, it... I'm a World War II buff, if you will. I love to read books about World War II. and I'm very intrigued by it. My grandfathers were both involved in that. And I think it's just an intriguing time in history. I don't think there will ever be a time like that here on Earth where the whole world was impacted by such an event. And during World War II, the Germans had a a warship called the Bismarck. And the Bismarck was an incredible warship. It was stoutly built, had many guns, and it was fast. And that was probably its greatest asset. It was, it was fast. And so the, the, the Bismarck wreaked havoc in the Atlantic. And the British fleet was, was doing all it could to sink the Bismarck, but the Bismarck was sinking its ship. And it was kind of like they would get behind the Bismarck and they just couldn't catch up to it. It was kind of like the uh, you watch football games. And you know how it is when you watch football games and the wide receiver or the running back who runs like a 4-3-40, they break away and they're running. And you, and you see, sometimes you see these linemen, like 320-pound linemen, running behind this guy. And you, you, you have the same thought I do. Like, why? Why are, they, why are they pursuing this guy they're never going to catch? But the reason they're pursuing this guy is because, you know, you never know. That guy, he might pull a hammy, right? Or he might get a cramp. Or he might drop the ball. It's happened, had his brother Bob. People, they drop the ball. Or sometimes they're running, they just trip over their own two feet. They don't have anybody. And that happens, not often, but it does happen. And that's kind of what was going on with the Bismarck. As the Bismarck is, is fleeing one day, the British fleet, they just fire a torpedo kind of randomly. And the torpedo happened to hit the propeller or part of the propeller on the Bismarck. And what happened, the, the, the effect was the Bismarck began to, uh, to move kind of erratically over the water. And slowly but surely, the British fleet was gaining on the Bismarck. And, if, and then finally, the Bismarck did something crazy. It just, it just did a U-turn and came directly towards the British fleet. And what happened? They, the Bismarck was sank, and 2,000 Germans lost their lives. But the reason the Bismarck sank was because it didn't have a rudder. 
after the rudder was destroyed, it was fast, but it had no guidance. And our lives are kind of like the Bismarck. We need guidance. We need the rudder of God's Word to guide us. And what happens so many times is our lives are where we're aimlessly wondering, and sometimes we wander right into the teeth of the enemy, just as that Bismarck did a U-turn and went right into the teeth of the British fleet. We do that sometimes in our lives as well. We need a rudder. We need guidance. We need His Word. Look at verse 9 through 12. The first thing we learn from there are two, two points really today. The first one is since His counsel is truly wise, allow His words to prod us towards righteous living. And that's in your, in your worship guide there. The outline is. The first point today is since His Counsel is truly wise. Allow his words to prod us towards righteous living. Look at 9 through 12. And remember who the preacher is, right? This is King Solomon. And he's teaching us through this book of Ecclesiastes. He's, he's real careful about what he's writing. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. Now Solomon, he didn't just haphazardly jot down some words. Now, of course, he's writing God's Word, so we know he's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but he's not under a trance, and he's not just mechanically writing his words, though God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's using Solomon's wit, his intellect, and, of course, the wisdom that God gave him to write these words. He's very careful about it. In fact, I imagine him writing these words and him editing it and re-editing it. He's very careful and meticulous. He, he studied and he thought through how to say certain things. And verse 10 says that he desired to find the right words, words of delight. And it really is delightful writing. If, you, if Some of you may not hear anything about literature, but if you, if you study literature, you know this Bible is an incredible piece of literature. Not only is it God's infallible, inerrant word, but it is a beautiful book. It's beautiful writings. We, we studied through this book and, and we came across many verses. But some of them like chapter 7 verse 1, a good name is better than precious ointment. <coughs> chapter 7 verse 13, consider the work of God who can make straight what He has made crooked. And more known text in Ecclesiastes 3, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie down together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? You know that text, don't you? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. And three, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. And not just Solomon's words here, but also in the book of Proverbs. You can look at Proverbs 31. That text about the noble wife. Or Proverbs 15.1. A harsh word stirs up anger, but a, 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 gentle, a gentle word comforts, doesn't it? But God's word is not just, not just delightful. It's not just good to read. Good reading. But it's truthful as well. 
And some of these, as we've studied through this book, I told you it was somewhat of an enigma to me. And, and, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to study through Ecclesiastes and teach this book. Because it, it's been a difficult book for me to understand, to grasp this wisdom literature. But even though some of these, these texts are difficult to understand, we know that it's true. They're not just man's words. They are God's words. His inspired word. And it doesn't just apply to Solomon's words here in Ecclesiastes and the book of Proverbs, but we know it applies to the whole counsel of God. It reminds me of Jesus' words when he's in the garden in John chapter 17. He says, praying for his disciples, he has sanctified them in the truth. Your word is truth. And what is this word of truth, this delightful word of truth, what is it do to us and for us. Look at verse 11. It says it's, it's like a goad. What's a goad? You ever used a goad? Jerry, you know what a goad is, don't you? You have to use a goad sometimes. Jerry's a, he's an ag teacher at Covenant High School, and a goad is a large stick. In the biblical times, it was usually long, like six foot. And they would sharpen this stick. And what they would do is they would use this on cattle or livestock to get them to, to motivate them, if you will, to go in the direction you have them to go. And he says here that in verse 11, the Word of God is like a goad, and it it's, prods us along. And what does this Word prod us along to do? It prods us along to a life of repentance. This week I had a, a brother in our, in our church. He's a part of our church family, and I heard that... Um, he was having some difficulty in his life and he was living uh, an immoral life. And so I had to go and meet with his brother this week. And I went and I asked him, I said, things I've heard, are they true? And he said, yes, they were. And I pointed out um, that he was doing this not regretfully, but willfully. And that's not the life of a believer. And I reminded him of our, of our family covenant here at Beaver. That we, we just just established. You know, as a believer and as a, a part of our church family, we desire accountability. And we want people to be involved in our lives. And we want people to get into our business. And so I told him, I'm here because I love you. And I'm going to get into your business today. It wasn't pleasant. But I told him, it's not just for you and because I love you, but it's because of God's glory. It's God's fame is at stake here. You're a believer and you're living like a non-believer and that causes God to be grieved and it affects His glory. And so I, I let Him hear the Word of God in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 where it tells us to be imitators of God. And in verse 3 it says don't let uh, any sexual immorality be found in our life. But among you, let there not even be a hint of sexual immorality in your life. Or any kind of, any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. And the brother, he just, uh, he kind of, when he, when he hears these words, and he knew, probably when I got there, he knew of the preachers coming. You know, not everybody wants to talk to the preacher. You know, sometimes you call them. The preacher's phone calls don't always get answered. Do they, Jason? Sometimes uh, the preacher uh, shows up like, 
what's the preacher doing? But he probably knew why I was there. But as I, 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 I let him hear that word, that there shouldn't be any, uh, you know, any uh, hint of sexual immorality in his life, he, his head had just kind of dropped. And then at that moment, he was prodded by the truth of God's word. That word acted like a goad in him. And that happens when we're reading the Word and when we're sitting under the teaching of the Word. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. This, this, my, I remember my pastor teaching through Proverbs and teaching this, this text. and it, it, was a, it was a goad. It prodded me at this time. But it says, The words of the reckless pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise bring healing. And, and sometimes that the Spirit of God will bring that back to my attention when I'm saying things in the heat of a moment or I'm saying things I shouldn't say. And, and the Holy Spirit uses that text to, to go me, to prod me towards repentance and righteous living. And as we study this book of Proverbs, some of you have been goaded, haven't you? Chapter 10, verse 18. Through sloth, the roof sinks in and through indolence, or laziness, the house leaks. We're prodded by the truth of the word, and some of us were convicted of laziness. We shared testimony. And all throughout, as we're walking through this book of Ecclesiastes, so many of you have come and said, you know, that, that, was, that was what I needed to hear. And this, is, this is how God used his word. He's prodding me and goading me towards repentance. That's why we teach Awana here at our church on Wednesdays with the kids because Awana is pretty much it's the most, most of the teaching, most of the exercise is scripture memory because we want the, the children to, to know the, the Bible, to memorize the Bible. That's why as adults we're memorizing scripture. You see in your worship guide our, our text today out of Romans chapter 11, we're, we're memorizing scripture together because we need the prodding. That's why we do, we have, we you listen to expository preaching on Sunday morning. Because we need the, the prodding of the Word to keep us faithful. There's a hymn, Come Thou Fount. It's one of my favorite hymns. It's an older hymn. But the second verse is, Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I am come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. We're so prone to wonder, aren't we? We need the Word of God to prod us, to goad us. So when we, we disobey, we, we can live repentant lives. Notice it says here in verse 11, it mentions they are giving, these saints are giving by one shepherd. Now, some people think, well, this may be talking about and I think it's talking about the Lord Himself. That's why I think we can apply this to the whole counsel of Scripture. Sheep, they need a shepherd. In fact, what, what, what are sheep good at? What are they good at, you know? I mean, how, how do sheep protect themselves? Jerry, how do sheep protect themselves? They don't. Yeah, they're not, they're, not like, they're not even good at like biting. And they can't run fast. And they can't hide. They don't kick. They don't, they just, you know, really what they're good, good for is dying. 
That's what they're good for. But what, what do they need? They need a shepherd to protect them. You know, they don't even have like like a skunk. You know, a skunk, they, at least they have something they can spray at you, right? Or a porcupine having spine. A sheep, they're helpless. They're good at dying. They need a shepherd. And what does a shepherd do? He carries a rod. And what does he do with that rod? He prods those sheep when need be. It's kind of like us when we're driving, driving on, if you look out here on the road, there's lines in the middle of the road. And what does that do? That, that Those lines protect us. And sometimes when you get near the schools, you have, you have these bumps in the road, speed bumps, to protect us, let us know what's coming up. And sometimes you get it closer to the cities, you'll have like barricades, or you have concrete medians, things. They, they protect us. And that's the way God's Word is for us. It protects us. It, we need that goading and protecting because we're so prone to wonder. I am. I need it all the time. I need the goading of the Word of God. How much of the Word do you know? How much do you know of the Bible? Jude and Nahum and First and Second Peter the book of Hebrews, the book of Lamentations, do you know those books? Do you know the content in those books? These books, they should be our companions. We should be familiar with them because we need them. We need that constant goading to keep us on the path of righteousness. Look at verse 12. Many books were written in Solomon's day. He says, Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Amen. So there's a lot of a lot of books were, were written in Solomon's day, but how 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 many more today? In 2013, how many books do you think were published in the U.S. alone? Three hundred over three hundred four thousand books were published just in the U.S. Yeah, the reading material today is more than abundant. You can wear yourself out pretty quickly trying to read these books. And why do we have so much literature? Why are there so much, so many books being published? Well, they want to make money, first and foremost. But why, why are there so many books published? It's one writer trying to one-up the next writer. If you're studying philosophy, you're going to read Plato, Aristotle, and then Socrates, and then Descartes. And what are each one of those doing? They're just trying to improve on the guy that came before them. Or the psychology books. You read of Freud and Skinner. And it's, you read the next guy, the next guy, the next guy. Because what are they doing? They're improving. They're pointing out faults in the guy before them. And they're... And in each field, you could, you could have the same argument. Yeah, there's so many books. They're just improving upon the knowledge of the first. The reason there's so many books is because no one has the final authority. No one saw their ideas as absolutely true. One points out the errors of the one before them. Notice what it says there in verse 12. Beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end. And much study is awareness of the flesh. Solomon isn't saying don't read books. And I'm not saying that either. I read all the time. In fact, read biographies. That kind of got Jenny and I through when we were in China. 
reading those biographies of those godly, faithful men and God, men and women of God who suffered before us. That just encouraged us like crazy. So I'm not saying don't read books. We need to read books, but you can get worn out by all the books you read. In fact, it's kind of like driving. Jason, y'all drove up. How long a drive was it? Come in. Well, we drove seven hours to East Tennessee and six hours. Okay, so you're driving seven hours. and You drive seven hours. You know, it's almost like a work day. You drive seven, eight hours. And you arrive and you're worn out. And why is that? Somebody explain that. Because all you're doing is you're just sitting there. You know? You're just sitting there, but you arrive and you're just, just wore out. I am. I, I, that's what happens to me. And it's, I don't know why, but, but reading is kind of like that. How many of you, when you get in bed, you, you read a little while before you go to sleep? Probably a lot of you do that. I do that because it helps me fall asleep. Solomon isn't saying don't read books. He's, his point is that the books we read, they're not authoritative. They're not all true. Even if it's about the Bible and following Jesus, it doesn't always contain wisdom. So be careful of men's ideas. They may not be wise after all. But the Bible is God's Word. It is true. Without error. It is full of wisdom. The Bible is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It's sweeter than what? Honey. Through reading and studying His Word, we get understanding, the psalmist says, Psalm 119. The unfolding of your words give light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Read this quote to you. Tom Schreiner is a former teacher of mine. He quotes John Wesley. John Wesley says, I have thought I am a creature of a day passing through life as an arrow through the air. I am a spirit come from God and returning to God, just hovering over the great gulf. Till a few moments hence, I am no more seen. I drop into an unchangeable eternity. I want to know one thing, the way to heaven, how to land safe on that happy shore. God himself has condescended to teach me the way. For this very end, he came from heaven. He has written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book. At any price, give me the book of God. Is that our attitude towards the Word of God today? So if you have just a little bit of time, don't read a devotional. Don't read a book by your favorite Christian author. Read the Bible. Are books good? They're good. We need to read them. I read all the time. I've got a, I've got a bookshelf full of them. If you want a good book, I think someone, who was it? Amanda. I think Amanda Billing, she asked me about a book and suggested her a book. And so I, I gave her like 10. She's like, I, I think that's enough. Okay. Read books. But if you have a little bit of time, read the Bible. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. I'm a simple thing. I'm a simple fellow. I need some wisdom from His Word. His Word is wise. And it prods us along in righteous living. I have a pastor friend, a great friend, and I call him for counsel a lot. And there was a time when we 
finished college. We went to college together. He's a bivocational pastor. So he, he puts in heat and air, and then he, he, he pastors a small church, small congregation. And when we graduated, he set aside two hours every day to, to read the, the Bible. Not to study the Bible. Not just like his Bible study time. No, just to read the Bible. And so he would read for two hours a day, Monday through Friday, he would read the Bible. And you know what? He, he doesn't do that now. He's, he's too busy in his work schedule. But therefore, time, he, he would read for two hours a day. You know what? When I'm around that guy, he just oozes Jesus. He just oozes Jesus. Yeah, just read the Bible two hours a day. God's Word is wise. It prods us along in righteous living. We need to read the Bible. Second thing, our second point today, verses 13 and 14. Be in awe of God and obey Him because everything we do matters. Be in awe of God and obey Him because everything we do matters. Solomon, he wraps up his, his investigation, his research here, these last few verses. And we've been, we've been alluding to this verse, quoting this verse, and we said a good hermeneutic, as you're, as you're studying through the book of Ecclesiastes, we have to keep the, the conclusion in mind as we study this, this book. And the conclusion is here, verse 13 and 14. His conclusion that when, when things go well, he's told us over and over and over again, one of the things is enjoy life and obey the Lord. And when life doesn't make sense and we go through hard times, obey the Lord. God is the answer to our dejection and obeying Him is the cure for our dissatisfaction. Why should we obey the Lord? Verse 14. We should fear Him. We should obey Him. Why? Because we will all stand before Him and be judged for the things we've done. Sinners will stand before a righteous judge and be judged for all their sin. Hebrews 9.27 is... Uh, I don't preach a funeral without mentioning this verse. It's appointed for men to die once, and after this comes the judgment. We see this elsewhere. Jesus will return... Romans 2 says, And on that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. Revelation 22, verse 12, Behold, Jesus says, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every person according to what he has done. So this, even in the book of Ecclesiastes, this idea of judgment isn't new. He's already mentioned it. At the end of the day, the path of all our lives ends up at the the throne of justice. And every, he says, secret thing will be judged. Every secret thing will be laid bare and will be judged. Jeremiah tells us in chapter 23, verse 24, Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not feel heaven and earth? Yes, he does. Why, do we, why should we fear God and obey Him? Because one day He'll expose all the skeletons in our closet, all the embarrassments, all the wickedness will be exposed. And you might say, well, if God doesn't exist, then nothing matters. That's, yeah. It doesn't matter how you live. But God does exist, Solomon tells us. So everything matters. Solomon, he's taught us on this, this spiritual journey that life without God is vanity. It doesn't satisfy. In fact, he tells us 
God has, has placed eternity in the hearts of man. So nothing satisfies us but God Himself. And as we live life, we know that time rules over us. But God rules over time. He is sovereignly watching over, ruling over everything that happens. The good, we should enjoy life. The bad, we should trust God. And that's one thing we've learned through, throughout this book is that life is difficult. Life is messy. We can't always plan because life happens, doesn't it? Life's happenings seem crooked to us. We can't understand what God is doing, but He is sovereign. Life on earth isn't all there is. So everything we do matters. It has eternal significance. At the judgment, it will matter what we did on our vacation. Children, it will matter whether you obeyed your mamas and your daddies or not. It will matter that we walked away from our boss last week grumbling under our breath, upset. It will matter what I did with the extra time I had on my hands. Whether we kept our word to our friend, to our neighbor, that, that will matter. It will matter what we gave, what money we gave away, and how we gave it. The complaining about having to clean your room, that'll matter. What we said Friday about our coworkers, either the words of ridicule or the accolades, words of praise, that will matter. The time you spent in prayer for the people that's never heard the gospel, that will matter. The time you spent to go see the lonely widow, that will matter. The getting down on, kneeling down and getting eye to eye with the two, three-year-old little boy, girl, to see if you can get an eye level, you know, that, that'll matter. Because God exists and He's sovereignly ruling over all things. Everything we do matters. Obedience matters. Solomon's conclusion is not that nothing matters, but that everything matters. Every thought, word, or deed matters because there's a sovereign ruler who sees every secret thing and all will give an account to him who judges righteously. For sinners who have not repented, you'll face judgment who will give you what you deserve. He'll pour out His wrath upon you. You'll be judged for everything, you, every sin you've done. But for repentant followers of Jesus, we're going to look into the face of a loving Savior who 2,000 years ago took our punishment and as a result of our faith in Him, declared us righteous. Application for today's sermon. First thing is that I'll say, unbeliever, you need to repent. 
God is righteous. You say, oh, but God is so loving. He is so loving, but He is so righteous. He doesn't turn a deaf ear or a blind eye to sin. Because you sinned and rebelled against God, God will pour out His wrath upon you. Because of your sin, the Bible says that right now you are separated from God and the Bible says you are at enmity with Him. You are His enemy right now because you've rebelled against Him. Rebelled against His authority, His rightful authority over your life. You're living life for yourself and that's rebellion against God. And when you die, you'll be separated from God for all eternity in hell where God will pride His wrath upon you. So, sin or repent today. The Bible says that Jesus, God's Son, became a man. He lived on this earth and He completely obeyed the law of God for you. He died a sinner's death, a criminal's death in our place. He was buried. Three days later, He rose from the dead. The Bible says that we repent, we turn from our sin, we trust Jesus' work on the cross as our own. He'll forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can be reconciled, guilty, wayward sinners can be reconciled to a holy, righteous God. Sinner, repent. Jesus died for sinners. Sinner, repent today and trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. For believers, application for today. Study the Word of God. Know the Word of God because you need and I need goading. We need continually to be goaded by the Word. But if you don't know the Word, the Spirit of God can't bring conviction in your life. As we study the Scriptures and we read the Scriptures and we meditate on the Scriptures, we're spending a lot of time reading the Bible, listening to the Bible, memorizing the Bible. It's just like being on that road and staying in those lanes. Study the Bible. Let's study the Word. Let's read the Bible. Let's know the Bible. Concludes this whole study. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. He sums it all up. This is our purpose in life. To trust God, to fear Him, and to obey Him. Is your life characterized by obedience? Let's, let's live obedient lives this week. Let's study the Bible. Let's read the Bible. Some of you students, you're on fall break. Spend time studying the Bible. You need to be goaded by the Word of God. So I encourage you to do that this week. Do something a little bit different this morning. As we studied this started studying this book, some of you may remember this, but the first week we started this book, I asked, why should we study Ecclesiastes? And these are, these are things that we talked about then. To learn from the wisest man that ever lived. We sat at his feet for some three months. I think he, being the wisest man that ever lived kind of qualifies him to be a pretty good teacher. So we sat at the wisest man's feet for three months, learning from him. The second reason we should study Ecclesiastes, we said because it's honest about life. Remember the quote I read from Philip Ryken? He says, it's the only book of the Bible written on Monday. It asks hard questions about life. We, we struggled with some of those things, didn't we? Some of life's issues. 
And there's so many things that doesn't make sense about life. The third question, or the third reason that we should study Ecclesiastes because he said it's relevant. It's relevant today. Because we're asking some of the same questions that Solomon addressed so many years ago. And the last reason why we should study Ecclesiastes is to learn to trust God despite our frustrations. Life's hard. You know, this idea that we don't, we don't wear rose-colored glasses. Life's hard. Obeying the Lord is difficult. Keeping your family intact in and doing what people, everyone needs to do, that's difficult. Keeping your marriage, having a good marriage, communication open, loving relationship, that's, that's hard. Working with people who don't know Jesus, don't live like they know Jesus, that's difficult too, isn't it? Having grouchy neighbors and having your family members taken unexpectedly in death. Wow. That's hard. It's difficult. So as we study through the book of Ecclesiastes, what I'm going to do is ask you how you've been encouraged or how you've been prodded by the goat of God's word, Solomon's word. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.